This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me once again this week, the guy in the black hat, which you can't <laughs> see, but trust me, he's wearing one. It's Tyler Johnson. Tyler, how's everything going? Everything's great. Hello, world. You know, that black hat and the black shirt you've got going on there, I got a little nervous that you might be a Section 31 agent. I can neither confirm nor deny anything. <laughs> Well, you know, the guy we're going to talk about today, Malcolm Reed, he, he got mixed up in Section 31 himself as an ensign. Chris, that is for the end of the show. That is a spoiler. <laughs> Someone could be on Broken Bow right now, and, they, and they're going to look at him differently through the whole round of the show. They could. Uh, or maybe yes, I'm just saying that, you know, just to throw people off a little bit. <laughs> right. No, we're, we're going to talk about Malcolm Reed today. It's been a while since we looked at a specific character from the NX-01 crew here on Mark 5. And we're going to remedy that today as we talk about the Armory officer, Malcolm Reed. Now, like the original series, Enterprise established a triumvirate at the top. In TOS, of course, it was Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. On Enterprise, they mixed it up a little bit by making it Archer, T'Pol, and Trip. So Dr. Flox wasn't in there. You've got the engineer instead. But at the same time, Enterprise took a cue from the other post-TOS series by having a deep cast of supporting characters. And one of those was Lieutenant Malcolm Reed. Now, Tyler, of course, I say post-TOS series. Not that there's anything wrong with Uhura and Chekhov and Sulu and all those guys. It's just that they really didn't get much play at all on the TV show itself. You know, they got a little bit more to do in the movies but TNG and Voyager did a better job of fleshing out the crew, giving us more characters and giving them something to do. And then, of course, DS9 is its own animal because not only did it do that with the, the main cast, but it did it with about 20 extras as well. But Enterprise, you know, they carried the torch along. And so we do have here this English guy. Yeah, when you look at the cover of Enterprise, there's always a lot of characters on the covers of those DVDs, right? It, it they, they, you know, it's it's a triangle from corner to corner, with and, questionable um, placement, I would say, because they they like to put Trip in the very back, even though he's okay. one of the three main characters. I'm I'm glad you brought this up, Chris. <laughs> I've heard this on some of the other podcasts. This is one of the ones I'd be screaming at my iPod, yeah. going, "Wait a minute, don't you know?" But that's all <laughs> negotiated by agents. It's one of the worst things about Hollywood. You know, you'll go yeah. look at the movie poster, and the 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 agent has has negotiated their 
um, client will be the first name on the upper left of the poster, but they're yeah. also going to be centered in the picture. So they're never aligned right, you know? Um, and it's, it's the same way that Spock wasn't a featured player on the, on TOS originally. Right. Well, I have to tell you, I'm holding up to the camera for you right now, the season three Blu-ray set. And as you can see here, apparently John Billingsley has a much better agent than Linda Park or Dominic Keating have there in the back. The only problem though is apparently John Billingsley, he doesn't have Frazier's agent from Frazier because his entire body is not in the scene. It, there's <laughs> there's like 20% of him missing. <laughs> yeah, they cut off one of his ears, one of his shoulders. But otherwise he's the the third most prominent person in the photo, yes. Yeah, and I, if you look, it's the same thing if you go on IMDb. The the order that they put the crew in is the order they were built in. And John Billingsley is yeah. the second, you know, he, maybe he was the second highest paid. I don't really know. But he definitely is second in all the credits. Well, I think he has the second or maybe first. Actually, I didn't, I'm not positive off the top of my head what the timeline is. But of the actors on the show, Scott Bakula, John Billingsley would have been the longest working actors. Hmm. That's true, too. Yeah. Uh, of course, Porthos now, if you take his time and do it in dog years, mm -hmm. maybe he should have been top billing. I don't know. Well, he was Section 31 as well. So maybe he's supposed to be in the back. Another spoiler. <laughs> Another spoiler, <laughs> Tyler. <laughs> That's what I like oh, to Oh, goodness. Do. The next thing you're going to tell me is that Livingston was a Section 31 agent Shh. on The Next Generation. No, no, no. <laughs> Look the other way. <laughs> it wasn't him. All right. Well, Let's talk about Reed a little bit more here. What were your first impressions about the Englishman who doesn't follow soccer and is allergic to pineapple? Um, I, th I thought Reed was great. I mean, he, he really fit in the tenor of the show. He's he's a little stodgy. You know, that's his character. He's, he's very reserved. But especially in Broken Bow, it seemed to fit in right, right in there with all the other characters. He seemed to really make sense, and you were curious about where he was going. Did, did you feel that yeah. way? I think so. I mean, if you put it that way, I probably agree. The thing about Reed for me is that I don't know that he stood out any more than anyone else. But at that point in time in Broken Bow, I don't think he stood out any more than Tripp did either. And Tripp, you know, came to be probably my favorite character on Enterprise. Things I remember from Broken Bow with Reed are, you know, him walking down the corridor with Travis. This is when you thought Travis might actually have a, a part on the show. <laughs> and they're walking down the corridor. And of course, the scene where he's imitating Tripp and he's saying, keep your shirt on, Lieutenant. That's what I remember him saying that with the English accent. And then they get into engineering and then Tripp says the same thing. And Travis and, and Malcolm, they have a little laugh together. Yeah, but but otherwise, I don't know. You know, he's kind of the. I guess stodgy is a good way to describe him. Well, and I think four episodes after that, it was like he didn't have a friend on the ship. Like he was almost a little too yeah. friendly in that first episode, compared to where he went yeah. further. Which usually goes the other way around. They get less closed off over time as characters. Yeah, I think that has to do with settling into the part. Mm -hmm. uh, you know that Dominic Keating, before being on Enterprise. He actually was on a sitcom, a British sitcom. And I think that he maybe was accustomed to playing the comedy a little mm -hmm. bit, maybe being a little bit uh, lighter. And 
that maybe came through, not that it's comedy per se, but maybe that lightness came through a little bit more in Broken Bow before they pulled the character back. Because the character was, you know, supposed to be, the way the character is set up in the uh, the series Bible is that he was a much more rigid character, that he was uh, more shy, more reserved, and he didn't interact with with his crewmates as much. And he was, he actually felt, and you see this in in Minefield when Archer invites him to come in to dine with him, and Malcolm is so uncomfortable to the point where I kind of find that scene unusual, but his upbringing had made it such that he felt that it was inappropriate to socialize with senior officers or those above him. And uh, so I think that that theme for the character settled in a few episodes in, like you're saying. Yeah, I agree. I think, and I think it was both, uh, you know, the portrayal of Dominic Keating and the writers. I think they wouldn't have written that line Mm -hmm. for him in the beginning of season two where minefield was. Yeah. Yeah. And, And the line I'm talking about, by the way, is the, you know, Keep your shirt on. <laughs> not not that not, not being uncomfortable talking to the captain. <laughs> right, right. So I guess those are my first impressions, really. Uh, to sum it up, probably my first impressions were nothing spectacular, which I find interesting because do you know this? This is when during the first season of Enterprise and try to think back. We're so used to the Internet as it is now. We're used to social media and all. So try to think back to 2001 when it was still, you know, AOL was still this this um, message board, kind of online communities that were more closed, were more common there. And there were a group of people online who called themselves the Reed Ragers. Have you ever heard of this, Tyler? The Reed Ragers. It's kind of like road rage, but it's Reed Rage. I think I missed this one. What, <laughs> they were upset that he was on the show. What was the problem? No, 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 they they loved him. Mm-hmm. That's why they were raging about Reed. And this, there, there's one fan that's quoted. If you go back to the old Star Trek Communicator magazine, there is an article in the issue that introduced Enterprise. This was uh, issue number 135. And it's the one with just Archer on the cover. And it says, meet Scott Bakula and the entire cast of Enterprise. And there are a bunch of articles about each character in there. And they interviewed the actors. Well, there is uh, an article in there where Jennifer Stockton, who was a Reed Rager, is quoted as saying, there is just something about Reed that screams, watch me, watch me, like as loud as she can scream it. I never got that feeling watching the show. Did you? Did you ever feel that way? I, it's funny. I, I I went back and forth on him. So I felt like he at some times was very interesting and sort of um, in a very uh, on stage sort of way, as opposed to a, a film acting way, was playing a lot of things very subtly. And, uh, you know, even that scene we talked about earlier where he's he's imitating Trip, that could be taken as somebody who's uncomfortable and trying to fit in. Right. If you really yeah. want to dive into it. And he may have been doing all that. I'm not really sure. And then by turns in another episode, I might be annoyed with him because he's, it, 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 we'll get into the character growth. I get a little bit, a little bit later on, but um, he, some, in some ways he didn't grow as much as some of the other characters. It felt like he was dealing with the same issues a lot and yeah. that bothered I me. I agree. Yeah, I agree. That's when I was preparing for this show and I was thinking like, what can I pull out? Because when we talked about 
Even when we talked about Hoshi, who is a character that I think a lot of people feel like didn't really do that much on the show, I could pull lots of things out with Hoshi where I like this moment and I like this moment and I can see her growing here and I can see her growing there. And with Reed, I, I kind of had trouble pulling those moments out. I just didn't really feel like I saw the same level of growth there. Well, I think here's here's the thing with him. I, I went and watched two particular episodes prepping for this. And one of them you mentioned, um, it, you know, and the other one was Shuttlepod 1. And in both of those, mm -hmm. you know, Reed's character is so closed off, he doesn't really talk about himself. And mm -hmm. in both of those, he's in a position where he has to. And that's where you start to learn about him a little bit. Because unless, you know, he's just he's just one of those characters who's, you know, it's almost rude to talk about yourself and, it, uh, you know, who cares anyway? And, and it's really my problem yeah. and everything's so internal. Whereas Hoshi's a character who plays it all on her face and she's emoting and, and talking about everything. If there's a bump, you hear, oh, no, you know, and you get worried. <laughs> right. <laughs> and everyone can tell yeah. what's going on there. Yeah. You said a minute ago that sometimes you get annoyed with him. What's an example of a time where you felt annoyed with Malcolm? Oh, boy. Um well, you know how in, in the next generation, Worf would always say something and they tell him no, right? Yeah. I always feel like as, as an audience, I was always telling him no. He would he would say, we need to do this. Oh, Reed, no. Come on. Listen to the captain. <laughs> It'll be okay. And, you know, um, Archer's so much kinder about saying, that's a great idea, but we're going to do this instead, right? He wasn't, he was much more endearing with him and trying to coax out his personality more. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Did you ever get annoyed with him wanting to blow stuff up? Never. Blow more stuff up. <laughs> yeah, it, it did take away from some of the other aspects of the show. They had to develop the weapons, right, and, and go through all of that. Right. And sometimes that wasn't that yeah. interesting, watching him shoot at a planet or an asteroid or something like that. Yeah, not necessarily, right? I know you and I talked about this when we talked about prequel technology and how they had to develop the weapons. But but yeah, it does slow down sometimes where they'll spend a lot of time like just trying to hit an asteroid with a missile. It's like, well, okay, well Yeah, and they're we trying to make it, a you're point developing there. it. But yeah. You know, so there's a reason why it exists, but he's the one who gets to worry about it. And he must have been some kind of genius. Because he's sort of, you know, the tactical officer is a slightly different title than that. And um, but also he's able to to fix things and make things work and align things. And it's, you know, he's, he's like a better engineer than Trip when it comes to weapons technology. And he can disarm mines yeah. or he can tell someone else how to do it. Um, yeah. You know, it makes you think that 22nd century Packlids would love to kidnap Reed, right? Because he really does make things go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a great point though because that was the other thing that I was thinking about like when I do these character shows when I prep for them I just go through one of the things I do is I make a list of things that the character does over the course of the series not every single little thing they do but moments like rescue operations for example where they're involved in leading uh, a rescue team or when they're involved in, like in this case, Daniels takes Archer to the future and Silic takes over the Enterprise in Shockwave and they have to get Archer back and Reed uses Daniels' device to help Archer get back to the present time frame. You know, and it, that felt like something that Geordi would have done on The Next Generation or Scotty would have done on TOS or Bellana would have done on Voyager, you know, or O'Brien on DS9. 
they're all engineers, right? But here it was Malcolm who did that. And at times, what I came away with there was that at times he fills the role that I would expect Trip to fill, but he's actually the one fixing things. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I had only really thought about the, the weapons, um, but now that you mentioned mm-hmm. it, that wasn't the only thing he did. And I guess that fits right. into that submarine aesthetic they were going for, yeah, where yeah. everybody has to know a little bit about everything to be on that ship because mm-hmm. there just aren't that many people on there. But he's, his example is mm-hmm. pretty extreme. I think that plays into the fact that Trip is the, well, Topol is the first officer, but if Topol weren't assigned to the Enterprise, then it would be Archer and Trip. And Trip is an engineer, but yet he would be the next person in command because at that point in time, the person in command of the ship really needs to know how it works. It'd be like having a car. Mm-hmm. In the 60s, you know, like you need to know how to work on that engine. Whereas today you you couldn't possibly do anything to your car because you've got to have a enormous computer mm-hmm. built by the manufacturer to plug into the engine. Yeah, exactly. I, I think um, the other thing is, as the story went on, tr- they wanted Trip involved more, which he meant maybe he wasn't on the ship. And so it gave, it gave Reed more reason to do things when they were off someplace else, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing with Reed, and you mentioned Worf earlier, is that with Reed being the armory officer, like you said, there's a different term for it in Enterprise. Instead of it being the tactical officer, it's the armory officer. Here's a person who actually understands how to build weapons. And that's why he can go out and work on that mine, the mm-hmm. Romulan mine and minefield. Whereas in the 24th century, you know these officers have been trained to fire the weapons. I don't necessarily know that these officers know how the weapons work, how to build one, how to fix one. Like if something went wrong with the torpedoes, you know, is Tuvok going to run down and fix the torpedo? No, he's going to ask Balana to do it, right? Right, yeah. I just think of TNG when you say that. It was always Jordy doing something to a tor- torpedo or yeah. sometimes Data, a few other people, but it was never Worf. Right. Yeah. Worf would go down and just like strap a batleth on the front of the torpedo <laughs> and then <laughs> shove it out of the torpedo. Bay. I just had this vision of of him <laughs> <laughs> of him just riding a, 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 a photon torpedo out the front. Yeah. <laughs> I got to oh. Photoshop that now <laughs> with waving a cowboy hat in the air and a batleth in the other hand. That would be great <laughs> to see. While we're on the topic of blowing things up, though, and I mentioned the Reed Ragers earlier, there were also websites during the first season of Enterprise where they called Reed the King of Kaboom. Nice. <laughs> it, was, it is, you know, I think it's important that he's there. I think there, you know, there's a bunch of different areas of the, the the show is growing and they go out pretty innocent and afraid and uh or maybe they're not afraid enough and he's the only one saying hold on guys hold on let's get some weapons together let's you know let's make sure the whole plating works and all that kind of stuff and so um but i think he genuinely enjoys the only time he cracks a smile in some episodes is when he gets to shoot something yeah well let's talk about the character growth a little bit more and I've already said that I see fairly minimal growth. I mean, I see him kind of loosen up over the course of the show, but that's kind of natural for any show 
with the characters. And then if you want to keep it in universe, that's natural for any group of people who spend time together after a couple of years go by, they're going to kind of loosen up a little bit. What what did you see as character growth moments for Malcolm? Well, you know, it, again, it was all the ones where he was forced to talk about himself, I felt like. And, and um, you know, there were some other moments towards the end. And, well, let's take them in order. Let's just, just let's do it that way. So there's Shuttle Pod 1. And this was both something I thought was pretty cool and also a little disappointing. He talks about how Enterprise is such a family. You know, in case yeah. anyone doesn't remember, that's the one where the shuttle pod's broken and, and Trip and Reed are stuck in it together and they're running out of life support and they don't know if they're going to get found. And they think the Enterprise has been destroyed and they're oh, yeah. all alone. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah. Um, and so they're basically opening up to each other and Reed says a lot of stuff about how the Enterprise feels like his family, which is not yeah. something you see on screen then. And it's something you barely see on screen in subsequent episodes when he gets back. You can maybe there's a little bit more of a head nod or maybe a little bit more of a smile, but it's not a big shift for him. He still really plays it close to the vest. Yeah, Shuttlepod One is a, is a really great episode. I, I think it highlights what Enterprise could do, being very very talky, mm-hmm. which is something that I think a lot of fans didn't like about Enterprise it being so talky. But um, I, I do have some more things to say about. Malcolm in that particular episode as we go along. But mm-hmm. go ahead and tell me the next thing. Well, it really only, if, I was going to just kind of pick those three moments. So there's that one. And then later on in Minefield, where again, he's forced to talk and he has mm-hmm. those interactions with Archer right from the beginning when they're supposed to have breakfast. And they, I mean, they really hit that <laughs> nail on the head in terms of him being uncomfortable and get, telling him he's uncomfortable and continuing to act uncomfortable um, yeah. And so he's, you know, that that's a half a season later and he's not loosened up with the captain yet necessarily. Um, and Archer's being great at bringing him along. And so the sort of the same thing happens there. And after that, you feel like maybe he's not loosened up all the way. And then the last one for him is, and this is, I guess, what his journey was. And in, in the end, he's got the, the reveal that he's in Section 31 and he has to choose between two authority figures because he's definitely someone who's always going to follow authority. So in that one now, yeah. he's he's going to stand up to one of them, right? And and say, I'm not, I'm not just going to follow the rules all the time. But but I don't know if that really constitutes growth. I think each one of those shows that there's something internal happening. But um, I think he's like that father who might love their children but just can never say it. Yeah. I I think it shows that there was very little growth for Reed on the series because if you go back to how was this character set up in the beginning? He was set up to be, he comes from an English family. They have a strong naval tradition. His grandfather was an ordnance officer in the Royal Navy. His father also served in the Royal Navy. And then he was going to follow in their footsteps and serve in the Navy as well. But there was a problem. He had aquaphobia, which I have come to learn is not the fear of the Danish-Norwegian band Aqua. (laughs) It's actually the fear of water or the fear of drowning. So he cannot be in the Navy. Uh, You know, he, he was like a very devoted Eagle Scout. And it just feels like someone who grew up, who grew up in this very disciplined family and discipline environment and it carried over and then if you look at how the character was set up in the series bible like how did they describe it 
there's uh, another article by Kevin Dilmore in Communicator where when the show was was launching, and it said that as originally sketched out by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, Reed is a bit of a throwback when compared to his peers living in this new age of humanity's enlightenment. He's a spit and polish 22nd century soldier who maintains a religious schedule. And when he's not on duty, he's working out on futuristic exercise apparatus or toiling the ship's munitions lab. And that all just feels like he's just, he's very, very rigid. And, but I also think very loyal in the fact that he's uncomfortable around senior officers is that comes from the fact that he's also very, very loyal. And that's why at the end, when he has to choose between Harris or Archer with uh, the Section 31 connection, he remains loyal to Harris, even though he knows that he's disappointing Archer. And he knows that Archer is losing all faith and all trust in him. And that's killing Reed. But yet he's going to stick to his guns and he's going to follow, uh, be loyal to Harris because that's the person that he committed to first. Mm -hmm. And that's how I see him at the beginning of the series. And then that's happening at the very, very end of the series. So he really is still that same person. Yeah, I agree. I I think there were some great character moments and I think there were some moments of character growth, but overall the amount of change is not nearly as big as a lot of the other characters. His moments are more to me, wow, he led this fight and he won, right? Those are the the fun read moments. Those are the moments. Yeah. 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 And it's like, oh, he can win a bigger fight now. That's great. Which is, you know, in in, in some of the action scenes, he actually makes some things work that I wouldn't care about otherwise. Because I do Mm -hmm. still, despite everything we're saying, I do like him as a character. Um, but right. I, I would have liked to see him grow a little bit more. And then just, oh, by the way, on, on the side for that, in terms of liking him as a character, he also has some of the funnier lines in the whole series. And I think maybe that's something that's that he's not given credit for. I think not just the writing um, in the show, but also the character is funny in his own sort of wry British way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree on that. Do Do you feel that the... Potential was there, though, for the character growth, and it just wasn't written. See, that that's always my question, where, again, if we look at something like The Next Generation, Troy and Beverly, both, like, those characters, they had the potential to grow, but they were fairly stagnant. I mean, most mm-hmm. of the TNG characters were stagnant through the course of the series, and that's because of the the style of storytelling and when the show was made and, and such. So they had the potential to grow more than they did. Do you feel that's the case here with Reed as well? Because Archer grows a lot on this mm-hmm. show. T'Pol grows a lot. You know, Trip grows as well. I think Hoshi grows quite a lot. Uh, Reed felt like he didn't get that attention. And I don't know if that's because of the way the character is set up or just that the writers did not put the time in on it. Yeah, and I I don't know who to blame for that. I I agree. I think it just wasn't a focus of the story. You should always blame the Klingons. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The Romulans, it's the Romulans. They're sneaking (laughs) around doing something. Yeah. They cut the scenes where his character growth happened. That's what happened for here. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think he... um, 
I I wanted to root for him and I wanted to see him grow. And maybe that was the point. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the other characters, you know, there wasn't a lot of screen time given to Travis. But a lot of the other characters, as you pointed out, had a fair amount of growth over the course of the series. And there were um, – I think there was a lot of plot lines coming together at the end. We did that episode about what the next season would have had or what we'd like to have seen. And mm-hmm. they were really leading up to some stuff. And maybe part of the point is he's the one that didn't change as much. And, and that's the idea uh, behind okay. it. I don't, yeah. I, and I, I don't want to speculate mm-hmm. about that. But um, I, if you just take him in a vacuum, I, see, I kind of have a problem with it. If you take him in with the rest of the show and where everyone was going, it, I, I still think it kind of works. I think it, you can have a, a, a group of 10 people – and three years later, you know, nine of them have been through big changes and one of them is still that same person. And that's a real world thing that happens. Yeah, that could be. And I don't think that character growth equals screen time mm-hmm. or vice versa, right? I mean, you can have a character who only appears a few times and still gets great character growth. I look at the number of times that Lwaxana Troy appears on TNG and then look how many times she appears on DS9. Okay, she's barely on DS9. Mm-hmm. She makes a couple of cameos, yet she gets more character growth in those appearances than in anything else ever written for her. Mm-hmm. So you you don't need to be on screen all the time in order to have character growth. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other thing is, you, you mentioned some of this earlier. I had made a list of, I think they, they in this one particular case, they went about the characterization in a strange way. There was a lot of backstory that was just delivered as dialogue. You didn't see it. Right. They and I made a list of things that they did like that and it's it's like 10 or 12 things long. You named a bunch of them. But I mean, you can uh, if you go look on Memory Alpha right now, you can find the names of seven or eight of his family members. Right? Yeah. Four or five women he used to date. Um he's he's this he's the ship um chess champion. Um, he, had, you know, how many, how many badges yeah. he got as an Eagle Scout and it, the list goes on and on and on. <laughs> and yet they aren't, he's not doing that. So you don't see him actually growing and doing this. It's just sort of yeah. delivered. Of, oh, did you know I used to do this? Or, or, you know, I found out right. this about Reed. Well, as the chess champion is the Organian who was possessing him was the ship chess champion. So he, he gained that via, being taken over by an Organian temporarily. Oh yeah, that's that right. There. But <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, but but it's true. Like there's so much backstory to him. Like you think about, okay, I'm going to create a character, and I'm gonna I'm gonna write down all these little bits and pieces about their their life and their interests, and and that's going to allow me to have all these loose threads hanging that I can I can use to create this very, very interesting character. But like you said, I feel like we don't see those very often. Yeah, it feels like a, a prologue thing. Yeah, it feels like that, right? And they pick up a few of them in, in funny ways. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that the fact that he is allergic to tropical grass and fruit. Mm-hmm. Is something really funny to put in for a character, right? Uh, so he's allergic t- to bromelain. Mm-hmm. So it's like an enzyme that you find in tropical fruit. So it turns out that he loves pineapple, but he can't eat pineapple because he's allergic to this 
enzyme, but he takes shots to control it, so mm-hmm. then he can eat pineapple. Well, if you remember in the catwalk when they're all holed up there and they're playing um, game, mm-hmm. were they playing poker? I guess they're playing poker, weren't they? It's some card game. I can't remember. They're playing. They're playing cards, yeah. right? And they're using food rations to bet. Well, what does Reed throw in that he's going to bet? Well, it's it's the pineapple, right? <laughs> because he doesn't mind <laughs> he loses out because it could potentially make him sick. They've been holed up there. He might not have had his shots right. that he needs in order to be able to, to handle this. So that's kind of funny, right? And that's just one of those little little things about the character that was set up and then and dropped in here and there, which make him a rich character, even though it, it does feel like... Um, a prologue, like you said, mm. and then what we actually end up getting mostly, and this is what I found in my list, what we mostly get is him leading a rescue mission, leading a rescue mission, mm-hmm. leading a rescue mission, <laughs> right. fixing a torpedo, rescuing T'Pol, <laughs> rescuing Archer. It's it's right. like that's what he does. And yeah, he is the armory officer, so you would expect him to be involved in those rescues, but the list just kind of goes on like that and it becomes repetitive. Yeah. It almost feels like, and, and I have no backup for, for this being a fact, but it almost feels like the writers thought it was fun to just keep throwing facts in and dialogue about him. You know, usually in the show <laughs> Bible, you want to see people do things and they just say, oh, we'll have some, we'll have this person say this. We'll have a whole episode about how he loves pineapple, but he's allergic to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and, and, right. But I, so in, in a way I found that, kind of fun but it's also you know talking about having aquaphobia and you never see that happen really in any in any consequential way on the show it's it's nice but it's not really a a deep characterization that's going to help you you don't see him struggle with what he's going to do with that right what if because they don't have holodecks yet what if they did like they did in generations for uh awarding Worf, mm-hmm. you know, uh, promotion. And they actually went to a planet and they got on a ship and they took Reed out there to promote him to Lieutenant Commander and they actually threw him off in the water. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that was the end of Reed. Um, oh, here's the other fact we know about him, which was seen on screen. Um, apparently everyone else has the has the blue sort of tidy whitey type underwear. Um, mm-hmm. He has regulation blue boxers. I just like to point that out. Oh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. So you took note of that, I see. <laughs> well, you know, it, after he gets that uh, spike through his leg, he's, he's got to go get some help. And so he's in the sick bay. Right. I, I'm actually kind of happy they put him in boxers instead of uh, briefs. <laughs> <laughs> right for that scene, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, you have to be careful when you throw in little facts like you're talking about here too, because also with food, there's the one point where Hoshi finds out from one of his old friends that he hates fish, mm-hmm. but yet in Shuttlepod 1, he loves the Chilean sea bass. Right. It's not so, canon. I don't know. We're going to have, have, have a war over this. <laughs> yeah, it is. You, you do set yourself up for problems, um, it, you know, when it, when it's just lines that are being thrown around. It's not really as consequential, but it's easy to mess them up as well. Yeah. Now, a few more things that I did jot down about him are that he got tied up by shapeshifters disguised as hot babes on Ryza. <laughs> mm-hmm. See, now that's something unique mm-hmm. and also a shared experience with Trip. Uh, he also has a fondness for T'Pol's bum. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know what's funny about that, though? I th- th- There's always a little back and forth with him. Um, 
and and I had this feeling that maybe the character was like a repressed gay guy, right? That might have been part of what was going on. But I thought, well, maybe he's just British and I'm taking this the wrong way. And then I found a quote where Dominic Keating said, well, God knows I played him gay. So I feel yeah. that was part of his thinking when putting, I don't know how much he was kidding about that. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. But, See, yeah, I don't know. Right. And maybe he people, may have been maybe kidding that was a joke about on that. set about him. I don't know. Well, there was the joke that Brandon played on him prior to when, when the show was just starting, where he said that Reed was going to be a gay character. Mm-hmm. And well, it came out, it was like on the covers of mm-hmm. TV Guide and things about how this was the first openly gay character on Star Trek. And and it actually wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dominic Keating tells this story on one of the Blu-ray sets, I believe it is. And he talks about, I think it's on the season one set, actually. And he talks about seeing all that. And he's like, oh my gosh, what have I gotten into? Not, not that there's anything wrong with that, mm-hmm. but just that was not what he was thinking the character was going to be. Mm-hmm. And then he called up Brandon, apparently, or Brandon called him one or the other and told him that, yeah, I've got this interview set up for you. It's like a photo shoot with this magazine. It was like a, a gay mm-hmm. lesbian <laughs> magazine. And then Dominic's like, okay, well, whatever. And he said, I'm just kidding. You know, I just got, you just calm down. <laughs> And I'm I'm heavily paraphrasing there because right. I haven't seen that discussion that interview a uh, bit in quite a while. Mm-hmm. But that was that was like a joke that was going on at the beginning, beforehand. So the comment that you saw there, which I've also seen before, may have been him joking about it in reference to that happening, right. and him saying, "Well, you know, I, I played it gay. Right. I don't know if that came across on screen or not." So there was just something about. You know, I think in the show, he definitely presents himself as very hetero. This is an odd conversation to have, I think. But yeah. he presents himself as very hetero. <laughs> is, right? But, yes. um, you know, sometimes that's a sign as well that, that something else is going on. I, I think it'd be interesting if there was a gay character in, in Trek. There really hasn't been, um, or at least well, not really. Not really. Let's put it that way. Right. Well, you know, we get asked this from time to time. We've had, we have people write in, too, and and bring up the fact that, you know, we don't really talk about this very much or address it. And I think the next Star Trek series probably will have a gay character. Mm-hmm. I, I really think it will. And I think that some previous series would have as well if the writers had felt that they had the freedom to do it. Mm-hmm. I think Gene Roddenberry would have been perfectly fine with it as well and wanted it to happen. But when you take in all the factors of the television climate and the network and advertisers mm-hmm. and audience... Everything that you have to take into account, none of the shows we have right now were created during a time when that would have been widely acceptable to to the general broad mm-hmm. audience and to everyone involved in producing the show. So I do think that the next show will have a gay character. As far as um, as Malcolm goes, though, yeah, I mean, he does present himself on the show as being very much into the ladies, which is why... I mean, he gets tied up, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. on Ryza. Right. Uh, and I love the conversation in Shuttlepod 1 where Trip is going on and on about how he and Ruby had it all planned. Mm-hmm. And Reed goes, Ruby, you mean the waitress <laughs> at the right. 602 Club? Mm-hmm. Trip says, oh, you knew Ruby? And Reed says, oh, I knew Ruby more times than I can remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. There were some really her. funny lines he had in there. It was great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and then you know, sort of an awkward moment, and now I'll be stuck in the shuttle pod with you for another two days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so yeah all these items in the backstory are are great to see like i love when they actually do set this up although sometimes i think you can set too many things up in advance mm-hmm. and it's also kind of fun to just let things happen as they go uh, you know if you look at dr bashir the mm-hmm. fact that he's genetically enhanced mm-hmm. That was like a last-minute decision when they were writing the episode. Dr. Bashir, I presume, they decided at the the last minute to make him genetically enhanced. Mm -hmm. And and then it opened up a lot of new storylines for them. And now if you go back and you rewatch Bashir's storyline all the way from the beginning, you can read into it a lot. Like, oh, I see what he's doing right there. Mm Okay, that now that makes sense if he's genetically enhanced, but they had no idea right. they were writing that. And so sometimes I think it's good not to set it up too much. And I think you could do the same thing with Reed in section thirty one. Yeah, yeah. You know, and which I, I wish they had explored more and they would have if the right. series had continued on, right? Yeah, maybe he was going to his quarters and sending a report back about some alien planet that they found. We don't we don't know what you know, what his level of involvement. I it didn't seem I would guess it's probably not a lot, but um, yeah, you know, who knows really, but who knows? Yeah. Right. Yeah. We'll have to look into Manny Koto's magic bag of hindsight. <laughs> for that. I'll just use my head cannon. It's fine. <laughs> Whatever I think is going to happen. That's what actually happened to me. <laughs> we should pull together the head cannon of all the hosts <laughs> on the Trek of film network one day, because we have got some really, really interesting things in our head cannon. It could be, yeah, that'd be a fun show. It also would be fun, you know, every now and again, they'll do an episode of something where five different people will, you'll sort of have their, their musings and they'll make a little animated, you know, mini show about it, or they'll, they'll act it out and they're all, everyone's characterized the way they are in their memory. Um, yeah, we, we can just, <laughs> I'll be sitting around a room drifting off. <laughs> It sounds like you're proposing a new video show for Trek FM. I thought that was just inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one of these days. Right. Well, another thing that we were talking about before the show, uh, you you asked if Reed is a soldier or a nerd. And I I I think the feeling I got was the soldier being more like like Major Hayes, you know, kind of the Mako type mm-hmm. soldier, which is interesting because the one of the original concepts for Reed was that he was going to be Major Reed, not a lieutenant mm-hmm. in Starfleet, but he was going to be in the Starfleet Marine Corps, which is kind of what Mako is, I guess. Although we, we did a whole show on Mako debating whether they were actually part of Starfleet or whether they were a separate organization or what mm-hmm. they were, but... um. But anyway, more of that, like, truly, he's a soldier, and this is his his life. But with Reed, you know, you called him stodgy at the beginning. We kind of get that feeling that he has more of an academic side to him as well that is something that we typically don't see in the portrayal of soldiers on science fiction shows. Yeah, one of the things I like about it is he's like a tough nerd. Like nerds can mm-hmm. kick ass, everybody. Don't <laughs> don't don't fall asleep on the nerd soldiers. That you know <laughs> they can fix the weapon, they can shoot the weapon, you know, and yeah. um and they're just the they're just all around badasses. So watch out. You're trying really hard to get me to put ass in the title of the show, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, but now I am. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of potential titles right there, <laughs> but. Yeah, you, I, th- I think part of that comes from 
the standoffish nature of his mm-hmm. personality, where he is kind of dis- distancing himself from the crew a bit. And I think some of it maybe comes from Dominic Keating's background and playing that in the role. And I know in school he studied modern history and it's modern English history. So it's from like the uh, mid 15th century mm-hmm. forward. And maybe some of the, maybe I, it's like a bookworm nature mm-hmm. a little bit and some of the academic nature of, of him maybe coming through in the character, which I think probably makes the character more interesting, right? Than if, if he were simply playing it as like, I'm the badass Starfleet Marine Corps guy. Yeah, it's, and it's a little bit like astronauts, right? So if you've got somebody who's going up into space, quite often they came through a military background, but they also might have mm-hmm. an engineering or a physics degree. Right. They might be an yeah, experimental yeah. scientist. And so you wouldn't Very just pick the straight-ahead soldier. People. You'd pick somebody who yeah. also has those other disciplines and then maybe has right. lived in academia as well. So it would kind of make sense that he wouldn't be yeah. you know, your high-testosterone you know, super big soldier type, he'd be um, somebody who's a little more thoughtful about that. Yeah. And I think that plays into what we talked about at the beginning, where at this point in time, with this first Warp 5 ship, the people that you're going to put on that ship are going to be more like the people we might put on a spaceship today. Like if if we do a mission to Mars, you know, in the next couple of decades, Mm the people we put on that ship are going to be the kind of people you're describing, right? They're going to, they're going to be very highly educated, very intelligent. Uh, They're going to know a lot about a lot of different disciplines, Mm -hmm. even though they specialize in one discipline. And I think those are the people you need on the NX-01 because, you know, this is new technology. It's not going to run well all the time, like the Enterprise D would. Yeah, Reed's got to he's got to be able to fix it, he's got to be able to shoot it, he's got to be able to strategize. He's got to, you know, have tactical knowledge. He, you know, he can't just pick one of those things. He basically has to fill all of those roles at the same time. Definitely. Well, I mentioned that Reed was originally considered to be a major in the Starfleet Marine Corps. He also was supposed to be a lieutenant commander in rank and not a lieutenant, and then that was changed right before the pilot uh, aired. So I don't know why they made that change unless they felt like they had too many high-ranking people on the ship. Mm. I mean, you've got a captain, a commander, sub-commander. <laughs> uh, Phlox, I guess, doesn't have a rank, does he? I don't I don't think they ever... He's not actually a member of Starfleet, is he? No, no, I think he's sort of along for the ride. He's there on that exchange mm-hmm. program with the Vulcans and to, I mean, he's there. It'd be interesting little... to know what his acting rank was. If something else happened, you know, wh- where is he in the command structure? <laughs> where is he in the command chain? Yeah. Because on the next generation, you know, that Beverly mm-hmm. is a commander and then there is that storyline where she takes the test so that she has, even though she's commander in rank prior to that, she actually couldn't be a bridge right. officer and take command mm-hmm. of the ship, but she goes through that. Um, yeah, it would be interesting. Like, how does that work at this point? It's a point very nerdy thing to need to know, but I, I need to know it. <laughs> you need to know it, yeah. So, um, but you know, they've got two ensigns on the ship already. Right. So, I don't know. I guess they needed a lieutenant. Someone had to mm-hmm. be the lieutenant. And and it, and it was Reed. They drew straws, like, who's going to be the lieutenant? <laughs> and it's him. 
while we're on the topic here, though, of, of soldier or nerd, one other thing, and this comes back from conventions, actually, right after, and the Reed Ragers that I mentioned earlier, um, Dominic Keating was the first of the Enterprise cast to really jump into conventions and get involved in the convention circuit. And after seeing him at a convention, one fan said that he is a thinking person's sex symbol. Does that sum up Reed for you? I don't know if it sums him up, but uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Putting you on the spot here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Honestly, uh, okay, really quick, Chris, on a scale from one to ten, how sexy is Reed? Go! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, oh. um, I, I definitely think he, he carries himself, uh, you know, he's not my type, but he carries himself well and is an attractive man. <laughs> right, you... you, you... You say you like the blue boxers, but now now you're saying he's not your type. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a barrel of contradictions. <laughs> <laughs> just like Reed. <laughs> I'm glad you took the bait on that one. Okay. <laughs> yes, just like Reed. All right. Well, let's wrap up our conversation about Malcolm today with a few favorite moments, if mm -hmm. there are any that uh, we didn't already mention here. I don't have as many favorite moments for... Malcolm, as I do some of the other characters, because the, the they are there, but they're they're sprinkled so much like here and there in these other episodes that of course mm -hmm. don't focus on him. That it's hard for me to remember them all. So I just have a few. But what about you? Do you have any favorite Malcolm moments? Well, and I so put a I trademark after that, by the way. Malcolm moments trademark. <laughs> I was wondering if that was a typo. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna just pick one, and maybe you know maybe we'll go back and forth so I don't steal all of yours. But I thought it was kind of fun that what eventually became Red Alert was jokingly referred to as Read Alert at first. Yes. I thought that was great. I like that. <laughs> I that was a fun thing, and it's not even him that really said it, but it was him that brought the whole thing up. And you know, right? I thought that was yeah. It, it was cute, and usually when I hear something's cute in a sci-fi show. It means I don't like it, and that in this case, I kind of liked it. Yeah, I thought that was funny too, mm -hmm. because you know, just the joke that read alert morphed into red alert, and then so that's why the color red is used and such. But yeah, that, that's <laughs> a good one. For me, it's the the moment when he's in the shuttle pod with Trip, and he starts talking about Topol's bum, <laughs> and the reason I think it's funny is. I mean, part of it is just the idea that they're talking about the pulse bomb, but mainly it's the presentation of it. It's the way that Dominic Keating plays that that line, the way he says it, and the way that he and Trip start cracking up laughing together. It felt like such just a completely natural moment. It was the moment, which I love in television, where it goes from being these two characters acting out a scene together to being the two actors just having fun together. And that's mm -hmm. how I felt in that moment. So that's one that always stands out. And from the same episode, the scene in his in his dream, his hallucination of T'Pol leaning over him when he's on the bio bed in sickbay. Mm -hmm. And then when that happens the second time when it's real instead of it being the hallucination. All three of those moments from that episode are just great. Yeah, I do like that episode. Like I said, my biggest disappointment is that that realness you're talking about didn't carry over for him as much. It was just sort of in that episode yeah. and then stuffed back away after that. Um, so mine is, you know, we talk about Andorian fight scenes a lot and um, 
Reed willing to sacri- being willing to sacrifice himself for the crew is mm-hmm. sort of the Andorian fight scene of Enterprise. I guess they had both, but um, you know, it, it's like, oh, is the, is the show over yet? Well, no, we're almost there, but Reed hasn't offered to sacrifice himself yet. So <laughs> there's probably still 15 minutes left because <laughs> he was always, you know, drop of a hat. I'll jump out the hatch. I'll go off this, do, do whatever you need to do. Blow me up, shoot me. Um, he, he was, he was ready. He was ready to get, take one for the team. Yeah. You know, that, that reminds me of, another thing that I didn't bring up during the show. And this is not really a favorite moment, but one thing that bothered me about Reed's character was that willingness to sacrifice himself Mm -hmm. so, so easily. And as much as I love shuttle pod one, I got very frustrated with Reed in that episode because of how quickly he jumps to the conclusion that the Enterprise has been destroyed. Mm. And then all those letters that he's writing. (laughs) And I just felt like he... I expect more from a Starfleet officer. I expect more from someone who has volunteered to go out on this ship into the unknown, Mm -hmm. into deep space. I expect them to be stronger than that. And I, I feel like a lot of his uh, strength as it's portrayed is a cover-up and that he's very fragile underneath. Mm-hmm. And I don't expect that from him. And maybe that makes the character interesting that he can maintain this illusion being the armory officer. And I think the willingness to sacrifice himself comes from that tradition in his family, kind of that noble right. naval service tradition. But... I don't know. I hear it just, I felt like Trip was the voice of reason in mm-hmm. that situation. And I expected more from him. And then the same thing in Minefield when he's out there on the hall and he's just like telling Archer, just leave me, you know, here, I'll just kill myself out here. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, let me go. You just go back in. And I think that he has to understand that the crew needs him alive, that he's of mm-hmm. more value to them by surviving than sacrificing himself. Yeah, in that in that episode, he even detaches his air hose. Right. Yeah. He, he tries basically to tries himself. to commit suicide, and and yeah. Archer has to save him, mm-hmm. um, and had to had to throw his pad out in the space. Who knows where that pad ended up? <laughs> some, <laughs> oh, it some, ended up some on other... some planet, and yeah, ex- the the society there found it, and they modeled their entire society after whatever was written on there, which I guess were schematics for a mine. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I think he, you know, I, I want to like what you're talking about where he's got this, maybe he's deeply insecure and we didn't talk about that. I do think he was insecure and I think he's, you know, he's intended to be one of those characters who that insecurity is what drives him to work out more and drives him to work harder to do everything. And it wasn't necessarily that he's the smartest or the strongest just genetically, it's that he he's going to push himself in every way that he possibly can, yeah. which is interesting. But also sometimes it gets a little neurotic and strange. That that whole thing in 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 Shuttlepod One where he's writing the the notes um, to former Flame felt like a Doctor Bashir thing to me. It felt like if he'd been doing that same thing, I it would have seemed completely in character. Hmm. Maybe, Maybe in the so. early on in DS Nine, not early not early end. Bashir. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And, you know, the other thing we didn't talk about, we, we sort of didn't hit on, 
I don't know how he, he fit into the theme of the show. Cause I do think his character makes more sense in context. Yeah, it does. Then it does stand alone. I mean, it, every one of the, the main characters on the show represented a part of what it is to go out for the first time yeah. away from, from, you know, our solar system. Um, and, and, yeah. at, and at warp five and he was the one who was cautious, right? Um, you know, Archer was the wide eyed optimist and Hoshi was afraid of where they were going and trip really liked to play with all the cool stuff. Um, and you, you know, it's sort of that, uh, uh, power of myth, right. That, that you have these mythic archetypes that are represented a lot. And a lot of those are represented, which is interesting. Cause if you do that, then Dr. Flox is, is sort of the old sorcerer. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, he is. I, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's he's like Gandalf with a squawk. <laughs> yeah, he's got all these creatures. He's he's running around. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, um, but he's definitely representing you know the the cautious part. And if it's up to him, they might be able yeah. to go warp five, but they might mo- mainly go like four point one, and <laughs> you know, kind of right. go for it a little bit, look around, and go for it again, and look around. Um, yeah. and, and so I think it was important to have that balance in the crew, even if his character didn't grow like crazy. Yeah. No, I think that's an excellent point. And I think that that's where we may be a little bit hard on the character. But within the context, you know, Reed was a necessary character and he played his role on the ship, what he needed to do on the show. Uh, I, I wish that they had given him more to do. But, you know, Enterprise, of all the series, it's the one that has the most naval feel to it. And Starfleet's mm-hmm. supposed to be like the Navy in space. And and apart from what Nick Meyer did with the TOS crew in The Wrath of Khan and, and gave it more of a naval feel, this is the series that feels like the Navy. And so having this character who comes from a naval background and has that sort of approach to things uh, fits the show very well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just kind of felt like it was important. He he was as important to where that ship was going as anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe, you know, if you want to flip it around, I had some problems with it. It sounds like he had some problems with his character growth. But he also was a steadying influence throughout. And he probably saved their – I'm going to say ass again, Chris. He saved their ass <laughs> <laughs> any number of times out there. He did. Um, it, well. that, you know, I, that maybe someone who didn't have his combination of skills would, would not have been able yeah. to do. Yeah. Well, that's the rundown on Reed. Helped, helped, rescued, helped, led away team, helped, rescued, rescued. Yes, that that is what he did. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, it's been it's been fun talking about Malcolm Reed today with you, Tyler. But it's not the only thing we've been talking about on the network this week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. I like aliens. They took a semester of philosophy in, in college when they were on Earth, and then they were like. Yeah, we're Plato's stepchildren. And then, you know, later, the name just stuck. Earl Grey. First contact. Riker says, okay, they're they're ready to fire. And he pauses. <laughs> yeah. And in that moment, you see a little ship. There's another Jennifer Sisko somewhere <laughs> in my ship, for sure. <laughs> the ready room. If this statement was correct, it would suggest that the crew of the Prometheus modified the interior of the ship to reflect the new registry number before the old one was changed on the hull. Oh my god. <sighs> really? 
The Orb. Penumbra. I think some people might not like it, but every time I watch the end series here, I really can't wait for me to just go, next one, yeah. next one. To the journey! Galaxians. Yeah, I would love to have seen Neelix on Earth, too, just for the very reason. Like, he has all these wonderful ideas. I have this vision of him being... Like the Rachel Ray of Earth, and <laughs> he's gonna have a cooking show. Commentary: Trek stars. The Dresden Files. I couldn't even do a Chicago accent if I wanted to. You're like wearing half the gear. I yeah. know. I'm, should, I'm wearing a Bears jersey right now in Chicago, and I could not it's do the football season. Football season's over. I the could Super not Bowl do two weeks ago. a Chicago accent to save my life. Warp five. The Borg on Enterprise. Not to mention in the movie, right? Oh, here's what we'll do. The movie's pretty much over. It was two and a half hours long, but let's put another 15 minutes of cleaning up the Borg in there right at the end. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Melodic Treks. Five musical favorites. And to see the Klingon ship dissolve in, in the lightning effect with that music playing at, you know, at loud volumes. It was, it was basically the, a geek's dream. Literary Treks. Spock Reflections. And my favorite is when Amanda goes, I will never get used to a Vulcan scolding. <laughs> right. You know, we wouldn't take it as a scolding at all. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them in a variety of places, including iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can download or stream from the website. So go grab some shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. All right, Tyler, I believe that since our last show, uh, we had a little bit of feedback on Twitter. I saw you pulled something out. Yeah, I, you know, it's not the most exciting thing in the world to read from your Twitter t- feed, but I thought this was this was kind of a fun one. So last week, Mickey Fit uh, tweeted us with with ideas for for what was going to happen in Enterprise season five, and we really appreciated that. And I tweeted back and forth with him a little bit, and then he let me know that he had just finished, and now that he's finished Enterprise, which I always think of. Um, uh, you know, listening to Warp 5 and then wanting to go watch Enterprise. Well, he's not finished Enterprise. He's going back to the beginning of Warp 5. And I thought that was kind of a oh, neat great. thing. And so hopefully, you know, he'll find some 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 new things. And it's a, just a, it's a it's the circle of life. You listen to Warp 5 and it makes you watch Enterprise. You watch Enterprise, it makes you listen to Warp 5. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Mickey. And yeah, you get more out of our show, Warp 5, and all of our series shows on the network. Of course, if you have watched the whole series all the way through because we do talk in broad terms so and he said he's, he's watching he's listening to him in order again so he may not know about this for a few months <laughs> <laughs> okay maybe a while <laughs> until he gets to that all right it'll be a, like a subspace communication that has to travel a very long distance <laughs> all right um we also had an itunes review this is actually from a few weeks ago and i forgot to put it in the show notes last week and this is from the u.s itunes store it's from red queen That's R-E-D-D, Queen, so two Ds there. And Red Queen gave us five stars and just said, I just started listening and love it. 
with three exclamation marks. So uh, really glad to hear that. And thank you for listening and hope you do continue to enjoy the show. And for everyone else, if you like the show, please drop by iTunes and leave us a star rating and a review. It does help everyone who's looking for enterprise podcasts in the iTunes store find the show. This is not the easiest topic for you to just kind of stumble across. And uh, we like to hear from you as well. It only takes a minute you know, to write up a review. And so let us know what you think. If you'd like to send us other thoughts about the show, about read, about anything that we've talked about on Warp 5, you can do that by going to our website at trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show, choose Warp 5, and that will come to us by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website, or you can go to our forums at trek.fm slash forums to talk to us and other listeners about this show or anything about Star Trek you want to discuss. And then in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm where we're tweeting away about Star Trek all the time. All right, Tyler. Well, when you're not trying to figure out new ways to blow things up, just like Reed, where can people find you? You know, the NSA is listening to this, right, Chris? You just got me in big (laughs) trouble. (laughs) It's okay. They, They already know what we were going to talk about today because I'm sure they intercepted our emails anyway. So. Right. Perfect. Um, yeah. If, if you want to get in touch with me, Twitter's the best way. Uh, I just mentioned Mickey Fit, um, who reached out and that, and that was great. We did a little Trek talk back and forth. So Flintastic is where to find me. It's F-L-Y-N-T-T-A-S-T-I-C. And um, you'll also find me on some other shows on the network. So keep your ears out, mainly on Warp 5, but I'm on the, I've been on the Ready Room a couple times as well. And I'd love to do that again. Definitely. We'll definitely have you on again. In fact, you were you were going to be on this past week when we talked Enterprise on there, but uh, something came up. And um, I think Section 31 sent you on a mission and you couldn't make it. So uh, next time around, hopefully you'll be with us. I still confirm nor deny nothing. I can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should have changed out of that black outfit before we recorded the show today. Then I would not have been suspicious. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username. And you can also find me on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. Then elsewhere on the network, besides the Ready Room, which we just mentioned, which is a show where we talk about Star Trek news and we talk about all five live action Star Trek series. So we just did Enterprise this week. We circle around. Five weeks, we'll be back there. This week, we talked about Damage, the great episode from near the end of the Zindi arc, where, you know, Archer has to steal a warp coil, and T'Pol is dealing with drug addiction. Uh, Matthew Rushing, my co-host for two other shows, is on there with me, and Colin Higgins is on there as well, so go check that out. Now, Matthew and I do The Orb together. That's all about Deep Space Nine. It's very much like Warp 5 here. And we also do literary treks where we talk about Star Trek books and comics and we interview authors. And then I also have an interview show called Matter Stream. So those are all the places where you can find me if you're interested. Also, before we let you go, I'd like to ask you to please support our sponsor for today's show. And that is Audible.com. They make it possible for us to bring Warp 5 to you every week. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. They have over 150,000 titles for you to choose from right now, and they add hundreds of new books every week. 
current releases come out on Audible. They have lots of bestsellers, lots of classics. They have lots of Star Trek books as well. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with the 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Now, if at the end of that time you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep that free audiobook. That's yours. But if you're listening to this podcast, I know you're going to love Audible. You're going to love audiobooks. So go try it today. Get that free book. Go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up. And that will help us keep Warp 5 coming to you every week. And we really thank Audible for supporting the network and the show. We also want to invite you to check out Andrew Allen's album, Smooth Federation. I don't know if you're like me. If I watch Enterprise on DVD, I just skip right through the song at the beginning. And he doesn't make me want to do that. Hopefully he didn't skip the beginning of our show uh, because we play his uh, his music at the opening and the close. And it's, it's a great album. Um, there are nine other jazz renditions of music from across Star Trek. So go pick it up on iTunes or Amazon and uh, help support Andrew because he's doing some good stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another way you can help us keep the show coming to you each week is to make a donation to the network. Now, Warp 5 is free for you to download, but it's not free for us to produce. We have to pay for production and storage and bandwidth, and it's quite substantial with the number of listeners that we have. So we do appreciate any support that you can provide the network as well. And as a thank you for that, we have original alien illustrations by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. And you can get them as badges or as art prints. Or you can just make a donation uh, flat out if you want. We actually have had a few people ask us about that this week. They said, we, we want to donate to the network, but we don't really need the alien badges or illustrations. Is it possible to do that? And yes, certainly you can do that as well. But we would love to send you the aliens. So just let us know what you'd like. And you can do this by going to trek.fm slash donate. You'll find everything there. We have different levels for you to choose from. Uh, so go check it out. And we really thank you for helping us keep the network going. So that's all we have for today, everyone. Thanks for listening, and join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.